0: tuning in to Sparks and Honey's Daily Culture Briefing. My name is Ben Grinspan, and today we're going to be talking about culture in the vertical. But before we turn on Q, our cultural intelligence system, to unpack the topic for the day, it behooves us to talk about the news that came out late last night uh, from the Supreme Court in a leaked filing uh, which indicates that Roe versus Wade, the landmark uh, a, a Supreme Court decision from decades ago that functionally legalized abortion care here in the U.S. is going to be overturned. Now, this leak is really unprecedented. Uh, a lot of times, as we have all learned, I think, in the past, say, 16 hours, sometimes these decisions uh, get rewritten and changed. But the, the news here seems to be clear that a fundament that for really in the first time since Plessy versus Ferguson, which uh, legalized separate but equal, we are going to experience a moment culturally where people in the U.S. will have constitutional rights that were once guaranteed and protected to them uh, taken away now however you feel about abortion as a, as a as a as a medical procedure as a moral decision as as something bigger and higher than that it's it's worth acknowledging that um That there will be cultural ramifications here right we don't uh, as much as i would love to sit and talk about griswold versus connecticut and and different conversations about what privacy means because remember this uh, was a decision that was founded on privacy not on legalizing abortion um and when you threaten privacy to get uh, abortion rights you also probably threaten privacy between consulting adults in their bedroom uh the reproductive uh, other reproductive care choices uh who they marry there are a number of different rights that are decided on the same principles that led Roe versus Wade. But before I go to con law on this, um, I did want to talk a little bit about this because I think we have to acknowledge this before we move into today's topic, which is in fact uh, about empowerment um, for, for many women, but for, uh, for everyone as well. So let's just start. I just wanted to, to talk with, with, uh, with our, our, my, my, my panelists for the day, my co-profer, uh, Carrera, and of course, uh, June, Danny, And, Brendan, I'm curious if anybody wants to say anything. I'm happy to jump in. But, Brendan, we were talking about polarization earlier, so I might ask you to start and and just let us know kind of what you're thinking at this moment.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think it's always... When we talk about, like, the purpose of these culture briefings and we throw up these, like, astronomical topics um, that impact us, I think, like... So much of what we do is like, well, how does this impact business, and and like, how do we bring this to our clients? But like, really, what we're talking about is like, how does this impact society and people, and yeah. how is that going to impact the way that those all of these things that you know we're, we're talking about exist and coexist. Um, And Camilo, our uh, CSO, I think uh, did a really nice analysis on this topic of uncertainty. And certainly like corporate policies or in this case public policies and the way that those are shaped or changed are also a huge thing that lead to uncertainty. And so um, in this case, I think like one of the learnings is like quite literally like this this is an emotional time. This is an emotional decision and it's people's emotions are gonna be high. So as it relates to this, like our trend of polarization, something we talk about all the time. So I would love to, like, for that to be sort of my takeaway is like, we're going to be navigating increasingly polarized waters and people are going to have a lot of emotions on their mind as it relates to this topic, so. I heard a legal expert on MSNBC last
0: night talk about, and I forget the exact term for it, but there is like um, a legal concept about the idea of of rights that you have that help you sort of plan out your life, right? And that the revision of those rights need extra strict scrutiny because people plan their lives against those. And just as you are saying, if we strike down access to abortion, not every pregnancy needs to or should be brought to term for most, for, in, in, at least people that deserve, I don't know, my opinion is they deserve the right, to make that decision, um, it's gonna that's gonna raise uncertainty not just for businesses but for the people fundamentally who um, who who existed culture. Danny, you brought some some details, some receipts for us. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, basically, I mean, two elements of culture come to mind for me on this topic specifically. One being power woman, and two being lagging laws. Roe v. Wade was not a lagging law in my mind. Now, Roe v. Wade is a lagging law, which is weird because women are 51% of the U.S. population, they make 85% of the purchasing decisions in households, and they contribute to 40% of the GDP. So if we're forcing pregnancy upon them when they don't want it, um, that's gonna have huge repercussions economically in this country. And we need to be thinking about that because the pandemic Helped to magnify the fact that we don't have a good child care infrastructure right. here, right? Like what are the resources that we're putting toward helping families? Um, because right now I'm not seeing very many. Yeah.
3: My interest is in Gen Z and how, you know, we talk about teen pregnancy and actually rates have gone down, right. uh, which is really interesting. It, by a, a lot of metrics, teens are having less sex. I mean, whether you believe that the self-reporting or like the statistics there can be correct. You know, if a teen is going to really tell you what they are, not having sex, um, it will be interesting how the whole dynamics of youth culture may shift around a new fear, around a new uncertainty, yeah. I definitely saw people take to TikTok today and engage in uh, kind of like mutual aid. There was one young woman who was saying, you know, buy all the plan B that you can online, not in store. You want the the ones in store to be remain available. And maybe on campus, you could be the person that people come to if they need it. Um, and so it's really interesting to see how already like our social platforms provide us a space to like kind of unfortunately like jump into action and and create like uh, aid networks,
4: yeah.
3: Uh, in this sense,
0: um, June, any thoughts?
4: Yeah, I think instinctively my mind kind of jumps and you know wants to tag this conversation to our trend of shifting soils. Um, you know, even a few years back when there was a lot of conversations around the crisis pertinent to you know undocumented immigrants and refugees, you know, there was a lot of talk about what it meant to be a sanctuary city and how certain cities or um, local regions were. Perhaps more hospitable to refugees and undocumented people, and in, in, in a similar vein, I could also expect a cultural expectation that you know perhaps more urban or or you know the kind of coastal cities that we know to be might be more hospitable for um, you know even just culturally for women. But that said, you know we also understand that you know being able to move and having the social mobility to do that is not really a privilege that is granted yeah. to everyone. So there still are implications of the lasting kind of um, and and you know the other. Lasting um, inequalities that might result as um, or might result from this.
0: Yeah, this is going to be a real test for all those brands that made all those big statements in twenty twenty about inclusion and equity. I mean, remember, it's like something like a quarter of Americans support the position that is coming down that would basically strike down Roe versus Wade altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a real minority opinion. And I will point out that one in three women in the U.S. has had an abortion or will get one in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the things that we need to keep in mind as we have this conversation. We were just discussing this. I strongly suspect in June we're going to have to have some really tough conversations here culturally about this. Um, and I'm glad we were able to, to take a step <laughs> to, to address this today, because if you think polarization is bad now, as Brent and was getting at, it's gonna get uh, worse in a way that's gonna be scary. Um, And with that, I do think we should take a breath. Um, I you know we were discussing what to do here and I actually think given just the um, the agita that this uh, that the that the news is is spreading for for many people that it's actually maybe a bit of an act of self-care for us uh, and maybe just a, a, a benefit to give ourselves 25 minutes to maybe focus on on something else um, so I think with that we are going to transition into our topic for the day uh, which is uh, about yeah, getting older uh, as we think about some of these big questions about our own future and you know I'll, I'll say that this uh, briefly topic came to us uh, in a moment of frustration. One of our colleagues told me um, that she uh, has, well, the minute she turned 30, she started getting a ton of content about anti-aging serums um, and injectables and retinols and all that kind of stuff. And So today in our briefing, we wanted to look into that to ask ourselves some questions. How do we engage, and you know, this is the big question, right? Can you be anti-wrinkle and, uh, but pro-aging? Can we bring a more inclusive aging dialogue uh, into the beauty space? And, well, I think we'll We'll we'll, we'll get into that. And you can see just a couple of our elements of culture here. Not surprisingly, human uh, longevity is one of our top element of cultures. Uh, This is about people living longer, happier, healthier, hopefully more whole lives. Adult makes a ton of sense. That's our element of culture about uh, adults acting like kids and kids acting like adults. Uh, real quick, Carrera, any of the any of the the other sort of uh, less gigantic ones pop to your mind as being valuable? Right, right. This well, new
3: sobriety is pretty interesting. A lot of people are terrified of alcohol, whether it be in the product itself or just drinking. I know J Lo doesn't drink. A lot of uh, increasingly celebrities are just uh, eschewing alcohol because specifically um, it's not great for your skin it dries you out so I think that's kind of interesting yeah. you don't really think of like how food and beverage maybe applies to fears about aging or wrinkle control
0: yeah. So let's dive in, because some of this should be, if this topic feels familiar to you, anybody who used to tune into our briefings in, say, the year 2017, it's because we actually did discuss it a lot about five years ago. Um, and while I, can't, uh, <laughs> while I can't remember anything about The Last Jedi, that was the biggest movie of 2017, <laughs> uh, it was definitely something we discussed here. So writing in 2017, editor-in-chief of Allure magazine Michelle Lee wrote a viral editorial uh, saying her, uh, it, that her venerable beauty magazine would stop using the term anti aging saying, quote, uh, whether we know it or not, we're subtly reinforcing the message that aging is a condition that you need to battle. Yet growing older is a wonderful thing because it means we get a chance every day to live a full, happy life. And she also says here that language matters, and Lee hoped that her publication's new editorial direction would, quote, get to a point where we recognize that beauty is not something just for the young, and instead create a more inclusive beauty rhetoric without using those terms like anti-aging. And we're going to hear all about that. Now, of course, this editorial was a big thing, but it's hard to tell if it made more than just a media splash. Uh, Again, every millennial woman I know who's in their their late 20s, early 30s is sort of having these uh, these conversations, and it's kind of hard to tell what this editorial, this this bit of archival information from 2017 actually means. So I guess my question is for the panel, why do you think this anti-aging editorial broke through in 2017, and are some of those things that made it break through, are they still operating? Now and Danny, your head is. <laughs> Danny's gonna do this whole briefing standing up and just like pacing around. This
2: is my favorite topic. Yeah. So um, my background is in media, and I worked at another uh, women's lifestyle publication around the same time where we bri- we banned the word flattering editorially. And I don't think that it's any mistake that 2017 was also the year of the biggest women's march. We were kind of going into feminism 4.0, 4.5. Yeah. Yeah. and rejecting, again, the terms of femininity and the terms that men are putting on us to sell us things. Um, but it was it was kind of a moment, and I think it was riding off of mm. that. But people have always wanted to look good. Yeah. Um, I did a little homework for this briefing today, and I, I noticed that um, the earliest term of... or the earliest instance of fountain of youth was actually in... <laughs> 5 B.C. um, by a Greek philosopher. So we've been obsessed with youth for a very long time. I don't think that's going anywhere, but (laughs) I think that uh, the language around anti-aging is changing, but it's now more about longevity and biohacking than it is about what terms are feminine versus masculine well and i
0: look i'm gonna try not to bring up our previous conversation too much but i think you're right about 2017 being a moment of real sort of let's call it cultural agita right that could lead to some of this conversation (laughs) and ooh, it would be a very solid bet to assume more
4: of that cultural agita going forward june And to that, I think even just five or five years ago, there was a huge cultural kind of revolution around understanding that language matters. But, you know, fast forward to now, there's also a kind of counterculture that's rising where Gen Z is also understanding that, yes, language matters, but so does the actual kind of material changes that result from that. And so, you you know, semantics are no use when like the material kind of changes are not really taking place. And so I think a lot of the kind of, Caution around, you know, using semantics to, to, you know, go from anti-aging to pro-aging yeah. are also kind of, um, you know, lending themselves to deaf ears because really the term itself is nebulous and you know it's hard to actually track the progress. And so, so long as consumers don't actually see their material lifestyles changing from anti-aging or other kind of claims that are a little bit more, you know, consumer-friendly or or politically correct, um, you know, all these like semantic workarounds perhaps might not be as resonant in years. Um, to come.
0: Yeah, let me very quickly take you through this signal, because it's very much related and just builds on what we just heard. Uh, Jacqueline Kilikita uh, suggested in a recent editorial in Refinery29 that the death of the anti, anti-aging movement um, is market-driven, with huge amounts of cash being made off of aging insecurities, right? So, her, and she thinks this is a market-driven phenomenon, and I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty convinced. Kilikita uh, points out that while it's frustrating about um, the anti-aging rhetoric, isn't just that it's toxic and problematic, but just as June was saying, it's really hard to pin down what that actually means. She notes a new product from Chanel that claims to correct the five signs of aging. But one, that suggests that there is something wrong in aging, right, which is problematic. But then also, two, it leaves correction up to interpretation. And who's to say Chanel's five signs of aging are your five signs mm-hmm. of aging, right? Um, this piece interviews cosmetic doctor and skincare expert Dr. Anna, uh, who reports that she has seen a change in how disinfected patients talk about skin results in the past couple years after being let down by a lot of anti-aging rhetoric. Uh, Dr. Ana reports that patients are now asking to look and feel their best rather than to come in and say, I want to look 10 years younger, which does seem to be an improvement or at least one that's maybe something that feels like we could actually achieve. Um, So I guess the question for the panel is, if we're thinking about looking and feeling your best rather than looking and feeling like you're in your early 20s again, I I guess my question is... And June was hinting at this. Could this just be a reframing exercise? Instead of standing up and saying lofty things about rhetoric, could we instead say it's not about anti aging, it's about, uh, or getting rid of the term anti aging, it's about
1: being pro aging and sort of aging the way you want to age? Aging forward, if you will. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I like that. I I think the other thing is like, again, this is just my like putting on my like skeptic hat. Yeah. Marketers good. and community, uh, people in our industry—we love killing words. If you remember last mm-hmm. week, I think I killed the word "vibes." So <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. fact that we killed anti—we killed the word
0: "food deserts" like yeah. week before <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. No.
1: we've forest bathing, other things we've killed. Yeah. So. Um, Like, again, skeptic hat here. I wonder if why why millennials are changing their mind from five years ago. Well, they're five years older. So it's also like we are getting older and perhaps thinking a little bit more about our inevitable deaths. And uh, I think some of the other things we can think about, like, so many of these other variables that are now sort of out of our control, whether that's air pollution, water quality, sun damage related to climate change. I'm getting dry skin from masks, you know, right there. So many different variables. So, like, these are things that are out of our hands that we're seeking more control over. That feels more positive and progressive and like what are the additive things as opposed to like taking years off my skin's life totally Kara, so you know it's funny to have this conversation because,
0: like, obviously different. Uh, there are there is obviously a sociological level here. So, Kara, tell us about how skincare manifests itself differently across different communities.
3: Absolutely. So, we're going to talk about how in different populations, skincare needs are different. No duh. but unsurprisingly, as we might uh, come to understand, there's been a lot of scientific research in white skin and fair and Caucasian skin. There hasn't been that much research in dark and uh, like melanin. Skin, So um, this article does actually cover some of the studies that have been done, um, and they've, they've showed signs that there are strengths of dark skin to withstand aging and photoaging. And according to the studies cited in this article, signs of molecular aging occurs around two decades later in dark skin than in lighter skin, so in individuals in their 50s and 60s versus in their 30s, respectively. Um, the delayed aging response of dark skin was attributed to the increase photo protection provided by higher melanin content and mm. epidermal dispersion. But in general, the thesis of this article is that it is important to understand that some clinical signs of aging are population specific. So for example, wrinkles and vascular changes are more of a concern for fair skin. And when it comes to darker skin, there's more of a concern around pigmentary disorders um, mm. and sagging in the midface. So I've got a question for June. Given what we just learned about the differences, how, what are the bl- brand implications here? And what are what is the urgency that brands need to kind of incorporate this information into product design and uh, marketing?
4: Yeah, you know, I'm inclined to believe that a lot of the initial skepticism towards anti-aging claims actually were also driven by the fact that so many consumers who are people of color felt very underserved by the current anti-aging market. Mm. And so what we know is that, you know, within the Lactam markets, for example, people actually don't really use like fine lines or wrinkles as indicators of aging and instead turn to, you know, um, moisture retention or or hyperpigmentation as a a proxy for kind of assessing the the health of their skin. And so, you know, there's two kind of implications. The, The first one is that I think, Um, through and through more brands need to kind of reposition aging as a way of, you know, a maintain as a, as a kind of litmus test for the actual health of your skin and instead kind of use these um, traditionally aging um, metrics, whether it's fine lines or wrinkles, just as indicators that your skin might not be as healthy as it should be. Yeah. So once again, reframing aging into a larger implications about health. And then also understand that different communities also approach skin care very differently. So for example, in APAC markets, um, you know, even young people and teens are starting preventative anti-aging at a really yeah. young age. and So they're not necessarily going to be looking looking at fine lines or wrinkles as proxies for aging and instead might turn to more kind of nascent skin concerns, whether that's acne or redness, to kind of signal that, you know, they might have to bolster their their skincare routines, whereas, you know, uh, consumers with more melanin-rich skins uh, might be uh, better uh, suited for, you know, um, uh, once again, preventative anti-aging that, you know, doesn't consider wrinkles but, you know, considers other things like hyperpigmentation or discoloration.
0: Uh, can anybody tell that June is an expert in this <laughs> subject? That was amazing. Um, and it does make me wonder, you know, I think, I'll, I'll just very quickly before we move on, I mean, it's funny, so much of the so much of the conversation that I think brands have are, are, when, when we think about inclusion are, are, are focused on making sure everybody feels like they are equally served. And I actually think what makes this a tricky question, and I don't have the answer for this, is that if you're the Juergens, the shea butter, whatever, the, the moisturizers of the world, the Aveenos, you really do have to kind of think about if you're going to build out this new millennial strategy, how do do it in such a way where people feel universally served when the needs are are sort of not the same and how do you acknowledge Honestly, phenotypic or biological differences in, in race without doing it in such a way that gets uh, icky. Because you want to serve people, you want to make people feel like your brand is there for you, but you want to do it in a way that makes people, again, feel like they're seen. And uh, June got at this a little bit earlier um, that Botox uh, is being marketed at younger and younger audiences. Maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't know, Carrera,
3: tell us about this. Oh, so, yeah. So for years, it used to be that getting Botox was something you did in your 40s, but increasingly it's getting marketed to people in their 30s. And even in their 20s. So more and more people are getting it in their 20s and 30s. Statistically, since 2010, Botox injections have increased in people uh, ages 20 to 29, around 32%. So instead of correcting already formed wrinkles, preventative injections, also called baby Botox, supposedly curb large wrinkles from forming in the first place. Social media, along with a generalized increase in interest in skincare, are driving the trend. And for instance, in March 21, there was a young Woman on TikTok who was, who filmed herself going to go get baby Botox. Uh, she's 28 years old and the video actually got 2 million views. So it's something that's very prominent online. And so I've got a question for the panel here. You know, as we see the marketing of anti aging products to younger and younger viewers, particularly on social media sites, TikTok and Instagram, what do you think the role, um, what do you think is the role of social platforms in kind of moderating content about anti aging to people who are maybe under 20? Uh, Should there be like a limit to like Mm. how young um, you can serve this content to? (laughs)
2: <laughs> uh, I, I think it's going to be accessible no matter what. Mm-hmm. I don't know if social media platforms can really limit that. They can limit the advertising, but there's always going to be an influencer or someone who's yeah. pushing some type of product in their own way. The only way that they can shut it down is to say, we're going to go dark for today, like REI on Black Friday and have a, like, don't look at your face kind of day. Yeah. Um, but... Otherwise, I mean, I think it's up to the consumer. We have always been obsessed with attractiveness uh, in our culture um, and Thinking back as far as to like 2004 with Dr. 90210, we're always trying to level up how we look and to look and feel our absolute best. But research has shown um, that the more that people actually look at themselves, the more they hate themselves. And actually, (laughs) eight out of ten women... um, Dislike what they see in the mirror when they look in the mirror every day. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that is terrifying, and especially as we think of this the Zoom and Teams world where we're constantly having to look at our face when we're just trying to get our which work is done. a
0: huge part of every signal that we've looked at. Uh, there's right. always a throwaway line in these. It's always something like, "After staring at your face on Zoom for yeah. <laughs> for two years straight." Yeah, like, Danny, let me push you on that for a second because, like, think back. If we think back to that earlier question, can you be anti-wrinkle but pro-aging? How do you do that? <laughs> Tell us how you do that.
2: Well, I started with baby Botox 10 years ago. I'm 35, everyone.
0: No. And... <laughs>
2: <laughs> Calm <them properly. laughs> um, But you'll see that I also have, like, white streaks in my hair. And I love aging and I love getting older. But I also, um, you know, to the EOC that we had up on the board, Singletons, I have an... Disposable income, where I can go and poke my face with poison, and it, you know, it's a form of self-care.
1: Is that their tagline now?
2: (laughs) 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 Yeah, exactly. So I I do think that it has become because it's so accessible. There are micro treatments everywhere. You can go to the doctor. You can go to special clinics. It can be part of like a facial and going to an esthetician. It's just become more commonplace now for people to be like, oh, sure, let me try that. But like when they're going to do it i don't think that they're necessarily thinking oh i look old i need to combat that it's like oh this is a this is a hobby this is now part of my maintenance routine i
0: think that does kick in at a certain point i mean maybe maybe what we need is like just a better acknowledgement of the fact that the decision to use botox it it looks different at different life stages and getting botox in your late 20s because you think it's a something you want to do might look different than in your early 40s, if you feel like you deserve more, you know, you want people to look differently and you'd work or something, right? Like, and 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 building it, if I was the Botox company, if I was like Bausch & Lomb, whoever, the, whoever owns them, I would make sure that my language in the spaces that I advertise reflect those different needs. I think you can be anti-wrinkle and pro-aging, but I think you need to be careful about how you do that, because I would worry that there are 26-year-olds who are doing it yeah. in this sort of anti-aging way, and we want to move away from that. And I'll point this out really quickly here. Um, I won't even read too much about what's going on in this signal, but what they're saying here is that there is a ton of new at-home uh, uh, products like New Face uh, that are designed or taped that are meant to give you the same effect of Botox, but not done by a dermatologist. And so um, I'll tag this Quickly to the DIY healthcare trend that we saw in an article in the Wall Street Journal a couple months ago about the, a world in which we can test our blood at home, we can test ourselves for COVID at home, suddenly opens up the world for doing like your own aesthetic changes at home that you might have gone to a dermatologist for. Mm-hmm. And so, my question for the panel is like, what happens when it's one thing to go to an expert who's going to give that to you correctly? I guess my question is like, do we need to be more careful about things like uh, these at home Botox tapes or, or whatever and be clear? that like it's very different than when,
1: when an amateur does it than when you're actually doing this in a doctor's office.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think it requires some sort of healthcare intervention. If I'm like trying to think of like a proxy for this, my my mind went to like Invisalign and I feel like there yeah. are lots of different dental sort of, you know, replacements for braces and like for whatever reason Invisalign sort of position themselves as like we are the one that works most closely with your teeth experts and yeah. uh My go-to nightmare when I'm stressed out is my teeth fall out. And so whenever (laughs) I went to get Invisalign, like, that was a thing that was important to me. So I wanted to go not with this, not with the other options where everyone's teeth fall out, but this option where it feels like there's some level of consumer control and intervention with the expert along the way. So I would imagine, like, from a branding and differentiation perspective, as we think about, you know, wrinkle, anti-wrinkle or anti-aging as its own category, like, the one or the ones that align itself with, like, what's the right measure of mm-hmm. like consumer led versus uh, expert led um, is going to be the one that wins off in that regard because I think like there are still like has hesit- none of us want to be botched None of us want to like show up and like <laughs> we want to watch stuff. that show botched, Exactly. <laughs> but we don't want to be
0: botched. we, we want to yeah. be on the other end of it So yeah, yeah. so Karare, I, my question for you is we've done some work about this with a healthcare client And there's actually a rise of at-home STD testing right or STI testing uh, For you know, and that offers people some privacy. Maybe some of them are nervous, right? But the huge problem with that is if you test positive you have to follow up, right? It's okay if you test negative, I guess But there's a follow-up there. Mm -hmm. So my question is, like, if you buy these products, I I have to imagine you need to follow up at some point with a dermatologist to talk about ways forward. Are you going to skip that if you just assume that the tape or the dermals or whatever it is is going to change your face?
3: I'm curious to know what the products are. One product I've seen is where you truly put a piece of tape here, a piece of tape here, and then you connect them at the back. Um, And then it just goes, and it works um, in a photo. And luckily enough, our culture is like half image-based online, so you can get away with it. Um, So I don't know if you would need to follow up with a doctor on that. Maybe you are doing more long-term damage because you're stretching your face. What's interesting to me too, though, is that Anti-aging products have been implemented in almost like every facet of our life. Like you can eat collagen ice cream sure. and drink coffee that is uh, specially designed to like stop aging. There's pillowcases that are made out of fibers so that when you're sleeping, you know you don't get these wrinkles. And so it's interesting to see how anti-aging has like become an ecosystem of products and lifestyle choices. And there's like a little bit of morality in there as well. Like if you don't put on your skincare, it's almost like oh well you don't, you're not trying it hard enough to, yeah. like, it's almost like a, a moral failure to almost not partake in a lot of these things. At least I feel that. Right. I don't know. I'm,
0: I'm, I'm looking and laughing at Danny. Um,
3: <laughs> I feel more a like a moral failure, and you and I, when I hear you talk, I'm like, wow, I need to be like, her.
0: Uh, <laughs> but no. it's true. If we're, if we're assigning people cultural value based on how few wrinkles they have, then it's easy to trip into feeling like it's a moral failure, right? Yeah,
2: though I'm, su- I'm surprised that there's not, like, a skincare coach yet like a new economy for that. Wow. There's kind of a bit of that yeah. with Face Gym. They have a couple locations here in the city and they were mentioned a lot during the Met Gala on the red carpet last night because a lot of celebrities were going to get their faces worked out. And so it's not, it's not like a facial, but they like go in, they do massages and they do yeah. um, different exercises for your facial um, muscles so that it tightens up the appearance of your skin. Um, So, I think that there is going to be uh, an economy that's kind of dedicated to this anti aging longevity biohacking.
0: Yes. I worry about what... I, if I was a dermatologist, that would upset me, But um, because I, I am skeptical that Face Gym works. But prove me, send us some free stuff. Prove me wrong, <laughs> you know? Um, let's talk about a little, little... Let's get a little sci-fi here, because we can actually do that. Karina, tell us about some new um, cellular anti-aging. Yeah,
3: researchers have developed a method that can turn back the biological clock on skin cells by 30 years. So they do it by creating stem cells from mature cells, which could be used to treat skin conditions in the future. So these rejuvenated cells are also function like younger ones. So they create more collagen than those that didn't undergo this reprogramming. And when placed into an artificial wound, these reprogrammed cells can move, uh, can close the the gap of the wound quicker. They're thinking that this could also be used to treat skin conditions, hmm. burns, and then also ulcers. So. This, like Ben said, felt very uh, sci-fi to me. Like, um, and I wanted to, I wanted to kind of interrogate this idea of like, what would the world look like if there was aging? Is it possible? Is it desirable? Um, and then, even like, if we want to put our strategist hats on, like, what do we think would uh, be the implications on other industries? Like, what hmm. would the beauty industry look like? What would the pharmacy look like? Uh, fashion or entertainment? I want to hear like futuristic, fu- futuristic takes here.
4: June, can we ask you to kick off? Sure. Um, So I actually did find a signal recently about some research coming from Singapore that found that there actually might be a hard limit to our longevity. So the study essentially found that humans could live up to a maximum of 150 years. And, you know, without obvious hazards that shorten our life, it was really the loss of resilience and probably the decline in quality of life that would actually be the reason why humans wouldn't actually be able to live beyond 150. And so, you know, regardless of how much weight this study actually holds, I think it is actually important to consider also the mind and skin axis and how, you know, what does it mean to, um, you know, prolong the, the longevity of my skin by 30 years if, you know, I am now living in temperatures that are above, you know, something that's bearable. And, and I think it's also kind of important to consider the actual lifestyle changes that are happening as people age that might not warrant them to live any longer than... You know anything beyond 150 and so pretty much all this to say is that you know I do think that there is a need for repositioning. uh, um, And instead of kind of framing things as prolonging longevity or, or, you know, increasing the lifespan of your cells, it should be more around um, ensuring that your cells are healthy, while you are alive. And I don't know if that um, little shift is important enough, but it does feel significant to me. (laughs)
0: Uh, No, I would take that to what Brendan said earlier about, like, you know, it's funny that fundamentally some of this conversation is, like, about confronting your own mortality, you know? And, like, we can de-age our skin cells by that many years, but you're... Some of your organs are going to start failing, and honestly, yeah. imagine turning a hundred and being like fifty more years. Um, I don't know if you want to weigh in. Well,
1: I don't think that like skincare is ultimately like what's going to get us to one hundred and fifty. Like, there's a lot of other things that You'll are. You'll leave
0: a beautiful corpse. That's right.
1: But um, I mean, for me, it's like, what is? What's the opportunity to like scale this to other? Cell types, right? Like, yeah. I'm thrilled from a potential, can this stop my receding hairline? Because of when I think of aging and anti-aging, I think of, you know, uh, this going all the way back and, you know, saying its farewell in five years. So the way that you can apply those, like, science-based Remedies into products and to think about cell rejuvenation like it's not just limited to your skin It can be cells in general. So
0: which also means it's not just limited to beauty I mean, I could see the work I could see equinox getting it on this and injecting you uh, after a hard workout Uh, Aaron, did you have something to add?
4: I think I mean, we're always talking about what the touch point is gonna be for
0: the metaverse Because people are
4: excited too and this seems like a great, you know At least from a vanity and skincare perspective shortcut. You can get ahead of the science Mm -hmm if you think about how you present yourself in a digital sort of environment. That's interesting,
3: because, I mean, Dana, you sent us a signal Mm -hmm. offline about how there's been a rise in Botox procedures because people are going back into the office, and so, like, stepping out of the metaverse and into the real space is also, like, tangential to certain industries, like, having an uptick, which is super interesting.
0: All right, well, let's go into our final signal here. Um, and strangely, maybe the most positive signal today uh, comes uh, about millennials and uh, aging, comes from Martha Stewart, uh, who just turned 80. She's a member of the silent generation. She's not even a baby boomer. Um, the home and style icon recently recorded videos for, uh, uh, for TikTok for Japanese beauty brand, Clay DuPont. Uh, the videos uh, heavily lean into Stewart's aesthetic and content genres, uh, but, done, but all done with a serious wink and a nod to the much younger audience, many of whom aren't even millennials who are watching her on TikTok. Now, Clay Poe is actually definitely a luxury brand. Um, And as this piece reports, many young people are squirreling away funds for high-end beauty products uh, that will give them, uh, you know, the perfect look for their next Zoom call. They say that the, you know, this article hints that the $500 uh, skin cream is the new $500 pair of luxury sneakers. Now, Stuart, with her Westchester luxury perfection, is an interesting avatar for that success, right? With her appearance on TikTok uh, seemingly making her and those Clay poe products, uh, even more accessible to younger audiences. So Stewart's name recognition and the fact that she's reached her 80s without major plastic surgery, she admits she freely says that, and this is confirmed in the article, uh, like other famous women her age, might make her kind of the perfect figure to bridge these worlds between sort of luxury and skincare, youth and aging, and kind of, I mean, very few people have aged on their own terms in the way that Martha Stewart has, and maybe that's why she's kind of the perfect signal for being anti-Rignal anti-wrinkle but pro-aging so um let's actually let's move into into wrap-ups here uh, just for the moment june i guess you know what is your uh, you work with met you are you are one of our beauty experts you work with our beauty clients um what's your takeaway for those beauty clients from from today's briefing if they were to ask you what uh, what direction they need to move in as we think anti-wrinkle but pro-aging
4: yeah, you know, Danny alluded to this before, but I think it's true that consumers are always going to care about their appearances. But as we surfaced in the signal about the fact that, you know, different people have different kind of metrics of how they measure aging, um, I think that, you know, it's really important for brands to consider that fine lines and wrinkles isn't really going to be the the only way that consumers measure the fact that they're aging. And in fact, you know, if they already have fine lines and wrinkles, chances are they probably are already aging or yeah. aging. So I think there is a really big opportunity for brands to increase that, um, education around the other, um, kind of more nascent, um, skin concerns, whether that's redness or acne to really trigger urgency behind preventative anti-aging.
0: Yeah. Danny, what about the non-beauty brands watching today? Sort of what, uh, we, what, what Carrera was asking earlier, like what, what should a non-beauty brand take away from this conversation?
2: Well, I mean, just, uh, the fitness and, and wellness and like food CPG industries, um, should take note that everyone does care about what they look like, and they do care about how they're feeling, and um, they're monitoring that. They have all the tools to do so with their smartwatches and their phones, and yeah. and everything else that's available out there. So, brands need to keep in mind that it is a holistic thing. It's not just about a uh, product that you put on your skin, but it's about what you ingest and how you start your day and the information that you're consuming as well. It's the, the full rounded 360 diet uh, that consumers have. Yeah. So um, that's something to keep in mind is. Okay.
0: Brendan, what, you know, I think we've seen, we, we, we understand what the tension here is. I think it's the tension between aging the way you want and and, and the culture telling us the aging is a bad thing. Um, what elements of culture, what trends that we track do you think, um, are most valuable for us to consider as we as we take this uh, as we take this content away and and,
1: then chew it over I think one of the smaller trends on the map that we talked about or we didn't talk about but is on there's Blurred ID yeah in the bottom right corner Mm -hmm. And I think this is gonna be the same recap as the last recap that I did last week when I was on the cast And that is that people are full of contradictions and that is okay And so Mm. yes, you can be anti-wrinkle You can also be afraid of the world it's and how it's going to impact that aging and you can be you know worried about what's going on with the Supreme Court you can we worry about all of these things and if you're a brand navigating the space like you need to provide permission to lean into all the intricacies and provide permission to like be vulnerable as it relates to your inevitable death and provide solutions for those that want to perhaps find solutions for that
0: so
1: Uh, real quick I'm sitting here thinking,
0: like, God, we've been so anti-wrinkle in this briefing. Is there an argument to, make, to be pro? Let's make a pro. Let's leave with a pro-wrinkle argument.
3: A pro-wrinkle argument. I mean, you know, smile lines are beautiful. You know, they they show that you've laughed at, at a million things, and I think that when you yeah. see someone that has them, you're like, wow, like. I hope I can have those, too.
0: Yes. Wrinkle as there you, you go. see fit. <laughs> yes. Okay. Right. Well, that's going to take us through our briefing for the day. Uh, I, you know, guys, look, uh, obviously we started on one note, ended on another. Um, I think that is both the beauty of the briefings and sometimes the kind of thing that we all benefit uh, from in, in getting to engage in those really serious conversations and then maybe in the ones that are uh, a little more pointed at what we usually talk about. So thank you to Brendan, Danny, Carrera, and June. Thank you guys for joining in. You can join us Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, at noon New York time uh, on our LinkedIn page. While you're there, jump in the comment section. Let us know your thoughts. Please ask questions. This is interactive. We'd love to have you join in uh, or or let us know your thoughts. If you're interested in Q, the cultural intelligence platform we use to build this briefing and every other briefing, please feel free to reach out. We'd love to give you a tour of its valuable quantitative and qualitative insights. Uh, We've got a really interesting week coming up. Tomorrow, we are joined by our friend Ro Kalinaros from Omnicom. We are going to talk about immersive storytelling uh, and then we are going to have a big conversation about weddings in 20 uh, weddings in the future. Um, So lots of interesting topics. Uh, Again, uh, thank you guys for indulging me as we talk about current events and perhaps uh, some, some longer tail ones and, and more culture focused ones as well. So until tomorrow, consider yourselves briefed.